Welcome back to The 99, where we are focused on brewing a better competitive commander. I'm your host, Patrick Marlat, and today we'll be discussing week one of spoilers from Commander Legends. Now, please note that as of filming this, it is October 29th, which is a Thursday. This video will be released this very Sunday. So if I happen to miss anything leading up to that point, well, I'm out on a camping trip. I likely won't be seeing any of these comments, but when I get back, I would love to know what I missed. If there's anything that happens to be CDH viable, please let me know. Also note that this overview is coming from the perspective of a competitive commander player. So I'm not gonna mention every card or every legendary from this set, all right? Also, guys, if I do happen to neglect anything that came out leading up to this Thursday, let me know in the comment section. I would love to chat with you about it and you can pick my mind and get my opinions on any card for any list. I'm happy to help. Also note, uh, and let me preface this by stating, Commander Legends is meant to be a draftable commander set. So there are gonna be some cards in here <laughs> that seemed to be priced oddly. And I mean like the CMC of the card. There's not enough colored pips for some of these effects. And, uh, and that's meant for them to be more splashable in a draft environment. However, <laughs> the way it's gonna translate to a constructed environment it's gonna be very weird. And I'm sure you guys are already thinking of the single card from black uh, that I'm thinking of. And I I'm anxious to give you guys my opinion on that. But we're gonna go over this in Wooborg <laughs> order. I'm looking off to the side because I have a list of all the cards I wanna discuss and there are a ton. Um, but again, if I miss anything, just let me know. And if I'm not looking at you, it's not you. It's because I wanna go over this huge list of cards. Also note that as of filming this, uh, some of the cards I'll be displaying are going to be in a separate language. However, I'm using rough translations to provide you with details on what they do. All right. Um, but before we jump any further in this video, I want you all to know that, guys, if you love this channel, if you've been watching it for a year now, it's been, it's been going for a while now, and you want to help support us directly, the best way to do so is via Patreon. As our Brew Babies and Brew Crew members know, at the end of this video, there is a special shout out for all of you, along with Discord benefits and other benefits on the side. And in particular, our Brew Crew members get to answer the monthly topic. And this month's topic is actually a question we handled just last week, and that is, should casual and competitive commander have separate ban lists? The questions aren't always going to be easy for the monthly topic. Some of them may be divisive, and this is one that had uh, a lot of people butting their heads in the comments section. And it's interesting um, to see varying opinions on this. So I'd love to get your opinions on this. And of course, uh, I'll be sharing those of my brew crew members over on the Patreon. And if you would like to have your opinions voiced on the channel, then being a brew crew member is the only way to do so. So I'm gonna go over this in Wooberg order. And we're gonna start with just one white card. As a matter of fact, I don't think I have any green cards to discuss with you all, uh, nor colorless, nor lands. I guess we can mention a cycle of lands. However, Court of Grace. On the screen now, uh, Court of Grace for two and white, white enchantment. When Court of Grace enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. So there's a whole cycle of courts that allow you to become the monarch. So you're getting to put monarch in play and it stays in play regardless of whether Court of Grace is in play or not. So basically at the end of your turn, if you happen to be the monarch, you get to draw a card, right? And you can take monarch by attacking an individual who's wearing the crown. Very cool concept. So this particular court, if you rest in this court, at the beginning of your upkeep, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. That's just, that's meh. Uh, if you're the monarch, however, which you will become, create a 4-4 white angel token creature with flying instead. I love angels. There aren't that many great ones in CDH. However, 
there are lots of ways to generate them and this is another way this is a really fun way to generate angels again uh, this is one of those uh, oddities i'll be mentioning that isn't necessarily like a cdh card but in a stacks heavy list and you have blockers or ways to make it so you can't get damaged out um this is a fantastic way to get monarch one get drawn white two and generate angels right so if you pump this out early odds are likely i mean you're putting four four bodies on the field not that many people are going to want to swing into those again if you put this out early but court of grace maybe we'll see play i think it's going to go into a stacks heavy list one that's trying to go mid-range or longer uh court of grace is i, I think i i want to say my favorite i'm going to say it's my favorite court from this set it's the only good white card that's come out thus far and it's just mediocre at best now i am recording with a new microphone you might not be able to tell it's a hypercardioid pattern which means it picks up sound from the back of the microphone and it's raining heavily today so if you hear rain, I'm sorry. Now, we're moving on to blue. Malcolm, keen-eyed navigator. Okay, there's another one of those oddities I'm just mentioning because, but specifically, two generic, one blue, legendary creature, siren, pirate, two-two body, flying. Whenever one or more pirates you control deals damage to your opponents, you create a treasure token for each opponent dealt damage. So at most, you can three pirates swing, swing three pirates hit, you make three treasures. So this is almost like having Captain Lannery in the command zone because Malcolm happens to be a partner in blue, right? So it's mono blue. You can pair it with anything. You can pair it with Tana. You get green, you get red now. Very, very cool. I think um, Malcolm is interesting because ramp is very important for the game. Uh, also, Malcolm is a pirate himself. So it has slight evasion with flying. So you will be able to get in on someone right? I think Malcolm is best suited. And what I like is that there is, I'm not gonna say a cycle of them, but they are bringing back many pirates into this particular set. And there is a commander, Admiral, Admiral Beckett Brass, who's one generic, one blue, one black, and one red. And she is reliant on pirates. I remember when she came out in Ixalan, thinking to myself, it would be really cool if they did more pirates that had suitable effects for commander and there are a ton of pirates that are coming out in the set that happen to be in blue red and black that would pair well with beckett brass so i'm only bringing up malcolm because he would be very good in the 99 of beckett brass It'd be awesome if she was eroded or there was a new version of her that had partner but they already stated they're not going to be making any new multicolored partners in the set so beckett brass if you're a player of beckett brass casually or pseudo-competitively, this is a new card for you. Next card I wanna talk about is another court. Now it it's, I can see this being very viable outside of Commander, like Cube might wanna play this. However, I do like this in Commander, particularly when paired with Red. So Court of Cunning for one generic and double blue enchantment. When Court of Cunning enters the battlefield, you become the Monarch. Ah, oh, yeah, again. I hope you have creatures in this list because you want to protect the Monarch. There's certain instances where you're not just going to throw this down and just hand off Monarch to someone else. Um, it is tricky playing with Monarch. You want to be the king as long as possible. Or queen. Whatever. At the beginning of your upkeep, any number of target players each mill two cards. If you happen to be the Monarch, each of those players mills ten cards. Here's what I'm thinking. If I have a list, and they're bringing back many surveil-ish effects, a return from graveyard effects. 
um, any sort of graveyard manipulation. I'm seeing a lot of effects come out for blue and black, like Demir cards in this set seem to care about that. So Court of Cunning, probably going to be very valuable in the draft. But also, if you use Underworld Breach, um, Underworld Breach to just mill yourself 10, you are setting yourself up very well. Obviously, if you have a list that cares about, uh, what is that effect that the Banana Lord has? Oh my gosh. Uh, delve, Delve, Delve. You get to set up a really good Delve with this card. And then again, for three mana, you're getting to draw off of that Monarch every turn, should you maintain Monarch. So obviously the list you're playing this in should have some board presence by way of creatures and cares about self-mill. I'm only really looking at this for the self-mill. I mean, you can, you can, nine turns rolled down. I'd say like eight to nine turns, you can mill everyone out with this if you happen to be the Monarch, right? But the odds of that are fairly unlikely, so I wouldn't push your luck there. However, I do think the card is pretty cool. And we're going to actually move on to black here. And um, I'm only bringing this up because I was asked about it multiple times. And the card I'm going to mention is Court of Ambition. There's another court. Enchantments, two generic, black, black, ETBs, you become the monarch. Cool. I was asked about this for Tiny Bones. And something in my eye, excuse me. Uh, I was about to ask about this for Tiny Bones. And I, I think it's a pass. So let me read this off. At the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses three life unless they discard a card. But back up this card. I know, I know. If you're the monarch, instead, each opponent loses six life unless they discard two cards. Okay. Mm, I think unless the opponent cares about putting a card in their graveyard, are likely they're just going to take the damage. And while, yes, the damage... <sighs> This circumstantial damage is very good for lessening the effectiveness of any of those decks that care about their life as a resource. I think the cost is too high and putting Monarch on yourself in a list that only, and if you're looking at my own Tiny Bones list, I only use eight to nine creatures. It's not good. Like, we don't need the additional draw. I've never played Tiny Bones and felt like, dang, I really need draw. I've always had a, a, too much draw. So I don't really need the Monarch aspect of this. It's really the second, the, the latter half of this card that I'm concerned with, right? And the life loss and discard off of this only happens at the beginning of my upkeep. This isn't really replacing your bottomless pit or any of the cards that do it on everyone else's upkeep. I think I use Cunning Lethamancer if you wanted to put Court of Ambition in because you felt like you needed more draw. Well, then that might be the one-to-one -one switch, but even still... It, it's rough because you're, you're taking out another body for a thing that's giving you something that's relevant for having creatures on the field. And you're not blocking with Tiny Bones either. You shouldn't block with Tiny Bones. I, I don't know how I feel about Court of Ambition. Again, I'm not personally planning on playing this in Tiny Bones, but again, if you, if you want to, your prerogative, man. All right, the next card I want to talk about, only because it synergies well with another card I've always wanted to play. <laughs> is Tevesh Svat. Tevesh Svat? I'm sorry. Doom of Fools. God, you feel like a fool just trying to pronounce this guy's name. Four generic, one black, legendary planeswalker, Svat. Mythic rare? Mythic rare. Uh, comes up with four loyalty counters, right? Sweet. What do I get with that? Plus two, create two, zero, one black thrall creature tokens. Okay. Thrall is a... a um, a character defining subtype we haven't seen in a while. Thrall is 
not common, but there are some interesting synergies with Thralls. One card in particular. For a plus one, you may sacrifice another creature or planeswalker. Another. It can't be Svat. If you do, draw two cards, then draw another card if the sacrifice permanent was a commander. What? Hint, hint. Uh, Svat is a partner. Planeswalker. So maybe pair him with a kobold and just, just draw three. Really good effects. Uh, both pluses are very good. Right? Add board presence. Black has a lot of things that say as additional cost, sacrifice a thing. You're getting a lot of value off of this one Planeswalker commander. Lastly, and this is least important in my opinion, negative 10, gain control of all commanders. Put all commanders from the command zone onto the battlefield under your control. Yes, it's very, very good, very explosive. If you get there, you know what? I'm not going to say you deserve to win because it, at that in that situation, I don't know what happened. But if for some reason that's the perfect synergy for you to just go off, cool. But I don't really think you're going to be using him for that. I, that's not the goal. I think just having the plus one on him is excellent. Drawing two for sacrificing another creature or Planeswalker. There's so much token generation. So much token generation in black, let alone the colors that you can combine this with. That I would look to... And, and again, he generates tokens himself. But I would look to utilizing... Tavesh for the plus one, nine out of 10 times. Now, when this was initially spoiled, it, one of the leaks I saw, I refrained from talking about this early on. One of the leaks I saw said, you may sacrifice a creature or planeswalker, which would have meant uh, Svat, right? So it would have been a great outlet post infinite mana, just infinite black mana alone would have done the trick. You could just draw your whole deck. As it stands, still a really good value mander, and it pairs really well if you're doing a reanimate strategy with Soul Exchange. Okay, so old card, Fallen Empires. I'm gonna read the eroded text so it is different than what you're looking at, but for double black, sorcery speed, as an additional cost to cast this spell, exile a creature you control. Hmm. You also get a unique counter from this. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. What? Put a Plus two, plus two counter on that creature if the exiled creature was a thrall. I'm surprised they maintain the plus two, plus two counter because there's a lot of things that manipulate plus one, plus one. I'm surprised they wouldn't just say in the eroded text, give this creature plus two, plus, uh, give this creature two plus one, plus one counters. I don't know why they wanted to maintain the plus two, plus two here. Either way, um, if the exiled creature was a thrall. So we make thralls, we're able to utilize this to bring back something from our graveyard. Maybe Razaketh in this situation. There's another Thrall on the board. We can sacrifice that Thrall, set up some sort of combo for ourselves. It's good, it's good. But it's important to note that Tvesh Svat um, is five CMC. So it is up there. Again, for generic and a black, you'll notice there there is a lack of colored pips in this set. Um, it's very easy to play in the 99 or play in the command zone and get out. So not not a bad commander. I don't think I'm gonna be brewing with Tavesh, but he is there. All of the red legendaries, those are the good ones. And we're gonna to get to them right after this card. For two generic and one black, opposition agent. <sighs> Creature human rogue, three two body. That was a sigh of joy. I mean, I'm gonna run this, trust me. Flash. You control your opponents while they're searching their libraries. I'm going to stop there. I, I'm not going to cover any rules specific to the control aspect of this card. 
all the rules I understand are from my comprehension of MTG's comprehensive rules. And I'm not a level anything judge, so I don't want to mislead you or give you bad information. However, 716 dot yada yada yada, if you just look up 716 over on MTG's website concerning their comprehensive rules, it'll give you everything you need to know about controlling another player. Um, so far as I understand, it means you get to look at face down creatures, you get to look at their hand. Uh, I mean, again, maybe wait for the official rules to pop up on Gather to get all of that information. I don't know if they're going to stipulate particular things for searching the library and controlling. They might, because the card is very good. So more importantly, and the, the bit I want to get to and the bit why, why everyone's quitting Commander, I'm, which I'm also going to talk about in a second, please quit. Please quit if this is convincing you. While an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find. <laughs> you control them while they do this, right? You may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. You may play, so it can be a land, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast them. So this is really great. Extremely splashable. Woo! It's a even mind Praetor's Grasp Stranglehold. It's a... It, it's a lot of hate in one card. Uh, so yes, this is way better than your Aven Mind Sensor because even in the scenario where Aven Mind Sensor says you only get to search the top four, I've still connected with my fetch lands. I've still connected with my tutors and have been able to get by fine. This is, and like I said, Stranglehold is convincing you not to play your tutors because you're gonna give the tutor to another player. You're not going to play tutors over this, is what I'm saying. So, a lot of people are complaining that this card is too good. And I, I agree, it's very good. It's very good. And some folks are like, uh, yeah, don't, don't quit the game. Please don't quit the game. I think I'm going to quit the game. If this is the tipping point for you, and you want to quit the game, you should probably quit the game. This game you voluntarily play, if this upsets you, this is the card. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to lose a viewer saying that. So whatever, play more removal. If opposition agent is a problem for you, right? You crack your fetch, you, st you crack your fetch land and you have a swamp open. Guess what kills this when it enters the battlefield? Fatal push. People don't value single target removal at all in commander, particularly CDH. The answer to this is killing it is bouncing it, is exiling it, is anything to it. There's so many ways to remove this thing. Please, please, let's not let's not get over dramatic about this. It is very good. It's extremely good. Like I'm saying, it's it's stranglehold because you're not gonna play tutors into it, so essentially you don't have tutors. It's letting you praetors grasp, in a sense, because you can steal their effective tutor. And on top of that, it's the Aven Mind Sensor cost of two generic and one black for a 3-2. So it is very squishy still. It dies to a Clasm. It dies to so many things. This Just run more removal. Just run, That's all I'm going to say. You're going to see this card everywhere because the mana cost, they fucked up. In a draft experience, very splashable. How many tutors did we get? We just got Vampiric Tutor again. Um, outside of that, I'm not seeing very many tutors. So it feels weird to have a splashable tutor shutdown element in the game. I think this would have been best as a generic and double black. Some folks are suggesting Orzov. I don't... Look, you don't need to throw white a bone here. Making this Orzov doesn't make me feel better about the lack of good cards white is getting, okay? Trust me. 
And this is the best hate bear this year, by the way. So if you're looking at the year 2020 and you're wondering what is the best hate bear to come out, it's not Archon of Mimiria, it's not Dranith Magistrate, it's nothing White got. The thing White <laughs> tries to do best, um, Opposition Agent is the best hate bear from this year. Hands down. One of the core tenants to CDH is draw, ramp, tutor. You want to tutor everything. You want to tutor all your solutions. A 99 card singleton, you want consistency. So tutors are king. And uh, this shuts them down. It's a very good card. I'm going to run it in every single list that contains black. What sucks is that you get the benefit of it. And then all the three to four to five color soups out there just get another extremely splashable, excellent hate bear. And some of the more proactive lists are probably going to skip this anyways. And it's one of 99 cards. So don't imagine that everyone is going to prioritize this card. You're not always going to see this card. It's not the end of the world. You don't need to quit magic. Stop complaining. Secondly, for the players that are playing this card, <laughs> I don't recommend you... If you play a Swamp and you play Mana Crypt and you're holding it and someone plays a fetch land and you drop this on the fetch land, yes, then is good. Mid to late game, don't throw this in front of a fetch land. You denying them their fifth land drop for that turn is not a huge deal. You getting another land drop for your turn, then maybe that's the deciding factor for your game. But at mid game, you should be slamming this when you see the Demonic Tutor, when you see the Eldamari's Call, when you see the Imperial Seal, the Vamp Tutor, the thing that's going to get you your combo piece or enable you on your turn. That's what you should be doing, right? And then allow their tutor to be your search element to complete your board state, right? Depending on what the opposing list has, because you're able to tutor up the thing that they're searching for, exile it, and whether opposition agent is there or not, uh, cast it at any point for any color mana. It's really good. Again, that's the Praetor's Grasp element. If you don't know what Praetor's Grasp is, it's also three CMC, but a reasonable generic double black to search your opponent's library for a card and exile it face down. You can play it. Paraphrasing, but... Gosh, okay, well that, that's out of the way. Rant's out of the way. Opposition agent, run more single target removal. Stop complaining. All right. <laughs> Jessica. There is a there is a lore reason she's named this. I don't know much about Jessica. I know she's been reincarnated, reincarnated in married very various forms, excuse me. But Jessica, thrice reborn. Um, two generic, one red. Legendary Planeswalker, Jessica. Zero loyalty. So when Jessica thrice reborn enters the battlefield with uh she, rather she enters the battlefield with loyalty counters on uh on it for each time you've cast a commander from the command zone this game. Whew. Okay, so if you just play her uh, for two generic and one red, it's your first commander drop. She's a partner commander. It's your first commander drop this game. Jessica will just have one loyalty counter on her. So she's very, very squishy. She very, very squishy. For zero, choose target creature. Until your next turn, if that creature would deal combat damage to one of your opponents, it deals twice, triple that damage to that player instead. Woo! Well, uh, let's get to that in a second. Negative X, Jessica Thrice Reborn deals X damage to each of up to three targets. So this could be creatures, planeswalkers, opponents. Okay. If you, if they print, I'm, here's my hope. If they print a green commander that just so happens to combo with food chain, right? You have, I mean, you're in red. You can just put Squeedy Immortal in there too, but that's not going to be of benefit. 
my my thought is like, hey, what if we just did a food chain commander and then kill the commander multiple, multiple, multiple times and then cast Jessica and get a billion uh, loyalty counters and then just pop off with the negative X. That's the goal in my mind. She's an outlet essentially for the list provided you have infinite mana, a means to cast your commander infinitely and then just drop her and use the negative X because you can just say uh, you a billion, you a million, you a trillion, trice, trice a million. So there's that. Okay, so she can be an outlet provided you're able to cast your commander X amount of times. That's the dream for me, right? I wouldn't slot this into food chain sliver in case you're wondering, like, you don't need to have her partnered in the command zone. You could just have her in the 99 and she'd still be fine, but I wouldn't slam this into any sort of food chain list unless you were desperate for another outlet and your commander, you know, it, it, it could be food chain sliver or it could be uh, Prosh, right? He just got reprinted here. Not bad, you, you can still do that. But the zero effect is really cool. So if your partner commander happens to be of the aggro type, if it likes to go swing swing and has some evasion, um, it's actually not a bad idea to partner this with said commander and then equip this, enchant this with auras, do things with this to buff it, right? To get to the magic number seven. And so long as this com other commander you have you know, it, it could be a creature in your list too, but the thought here would be to have something that would do seven, use a zero effect, do triple seven, and that's 21. Well, again, if you had any sort of evasion, you can literally knock someone out in one turn with commander damage. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Jessica's Rice Reborn, very good card. Um... I don't know if I'm brewing with her either because the other red commanders that are partners that are announced are really good too. But I do want to talk about one more Jessica card before we move on to them. And I'm doing none of these in any particular order. Whether they're alphabetized or not, uh, I, I don't know. I just threw down how I saw them. Jessica's Will. <laughs> Jessica's Will. And I see... I don't understand why people keep comparing this to the Seething Song. It, it's not comparable. This is uh, better. For two generic, one red, sorcery speed, choose one. If you control a commander, as you cast this spell, you may choose both. So if you're playing Rograk, Rograk, uh, well, you get to just do both right off the bat. Rograk being my favorite partner, by the way. Add red for each card in target opponent's hand. So it could be three, it could be five, it could be seven. Who knows when you cast this. Exile the top three cards of your library. You may play them this turn. So. Obviously, Seething Song, in case you're wondering, people keep comparing this to that because Seething Song, for the same mana cost at instant speed, gives you five red mana. Not the same. It's effective ramp. This is better. Like, I've never used Seething Song off turn at instant speed for some grand effect. I've always used it practically when I could have been playing it for sorcery speed. So it being instant speed doesn't matter to me. Secondly, Jessica's Will, the fact that you can exile three... Let's just say that we do the Rogue Grack package, and I'm skipping ahead, but he's a zero-cost partner, Kobold, zero-one body. None of that None of that matters. Put Rogue Grack on the field, <laughs> okay? Put Rogue Grack on the field, you play your Mox Amber, you play your Mana Crypt, whatever. You cast Jessica's Will. Jessica's Will now says, okay, I have a commander, I can do both these things. You, you have seven cards, I've got seven red mana. Look at the top three. 
just cascade into more spells and they're bringing back cascade i don't actually mean cascade just cast spells from the top of your library because you happen to have rograk and you are enabled in so many varying ways jessica's will extremely good card better than a seething song run both if you need them extremely splashable again like the amount of pips necessary for these cards were not there this this in my mind is a generic and double red like the kind of effect you're getting for this is extremely good and what sucks when they do this when they make a generic and only one colored pip is that every commander gets to play it which means partners in the four to, to four color region and then any sort of five color commander is just going to slam these because they're just high value pieces whereas something where you know the triple red or double red would be more off-putting and relegate this to strictly being played in those mono dual or maybe triple colored list i don't understand i don't understand it's just the mana cost that bothers me on opposition agent and jesk as well it's really just that moving on dargo the shipwrecker right for six generic and one red legendary creature giant pirate at uncommon seven five body They're Jessica and Dargo, uh, I would rather have more colors if I can partner. However, Jessica and Dargo, that's a thing. You get your Dargo down, you Jessica the Dargo, and you do the 21. Uh, my boy's got Trample. He is a partner. And as an additional cost to cast this spell, you may sacrifice any number of artifacts and or creatures. This spell costs zero less to cast for each permanent sacrificed this way. And two less to cast for each other artifact a creature you've sacrificed this turn um all right so i think everyone immediately thought oh you could turbo this out with dockside extortionist right and yes you can turbo this out with dockside extortionist and just by sacrificing the treasures you don't need to sac you don't need to accommodate the first half of that ability by using that mana to pay for him you can use one of the treasures to pay for him but cost two less so long as your dockside extortionist makes four treasures you can pop a treasure, pop a treasure, pop a treasure, pop a treasure. Use one of the red to pay for him. And then he costs eight less. Well, he's only got six more generic to pay for. But for one mana, I played Dargo, a 7-5 body. Is that great? Eh. However, however, this... Uh, and there's a couple different combo potentials here. So when I look at Dargo, I immediately think to myself, how can I abuse the fact that he is gonna cost less for every single creature and or artifact I sacrifice? So if you have something like Genesis Chamber on the field, and I'm gonna paraphrase here, Genesis Chamber, I think is too generic. Whenever you put a non-token creature onto the battlefield, whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield, meaning your opponents too, you generate a 1-1 Mer artifact creature token. Basically, Dargo plus that, plus a sack outlet, like a Phyrexian Altar, is going to allow you to cast Dargo, get a Mur, sacrifice Dargo, sacrifice the Mur. He costs two less now. Oh, that's the commander tax. Cast Dargo, get a Mur. And it's, you know, every single other sacrifice leading up to that point is going to count towards the cost reduction. So you can do that indefinitely. And then you would just need something that allows you to etb and destroy the board impact tremors whatever or if you had the mana you can just cast your jessica and use her ability jessica of the trice to target the three opponents and do a trillion depending on how many times you've cast dargo this game 
which would be infinite. So there's obviously combos for Dargo. I think at Uncommon, this is a really, really interesting commander. Um, not only one to draft, but two to construct with. Like, there's a lot of potential here. All of the combos that come to mind are going to be three to four cards. Okay, so you do need to work for an outlet on top of this. Simply having this kind of creature storm occur is not enough. You need the Perforos, you need the Impract Tremors, or you need something to be able to do with the effect of ETBing and LTBing. However, still very good. This next one I want to talk about very briefly. Uh, it, there's conversations looming about this card uh, because one, it's uh, we're wondering when we're ever going to see him and it's very cool to see him uh, in this form. So, Krark the Thumbless for one generic, one red. And if you don't know, there, there, there's Krark's Thumb a card, which I highly recommend for this list. And there's also an unhinged or there's some sort of unver version of the other Krark Thumb, if I'm not mistaken. But Krark the Thumbless, legendary creature, goblin, wizard. Didn't even know he was a wizard. Uh, didn't look at that. 2-2 two, two body. I don't think there's any relevance there. Tell me if there's relevance there. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, flip a coin. If you lose the flip, return that spell to its owner's hand. This is not a may. You have to do this every time you cast an instant or sorcery for the rest of the game. Okay. Uh, if you win the flip, however, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Partner. Okay, so... Krark, I look at Krark and I think to myself, man, isn't there another list that I manipulate that copies spells to effectively win the game? Wart, the Raid Mother. That's right, Wart, the Raid Mother. So with Krark, you essentially have the non-conspiratorial version of Wart, but with flipping coins. Now, it's problematic if you fail to flip. However, with Krark the Thumbless, when I cast my Court of Calling to get my two combo creatures out, um, well, to get a combo creature out, if I happen to flip the coin and I win the flip, I get two of those Courts of Calling and then I can just set up a two creature combo automatically. And I get that just for having a two CMC creature on the board. Obviously, uh, having something like Krark's Thumb out, which is essentially like probability control, it allows you to choose a flip and you get two flips and you choose a flip, I believe. Um, you want something to mitigate your luck here. You want something to increase your potential of getting the flip. You're trying to cut out the random aspect of this card. I think more over anything that this oddity is just going to be for fun. Uh, and if it happens to pop off, then that's awesome. So far as partner pairings are concerned with Krark, I would probably just go with Timna. Yeah, Mardu, whatever. I, I just want black for the tutors so I can get my thumb back and hopefully land a spell that wins the game. Tana would be good for the green. Hopefully there's a green commander that comes out. Again, if you want to do the wart route, you need to be at at least gruel. So creature tutors are important, but Timna seems like the pairing that I'm probably going to see most often for this. I feel like she's going to be the de facto partner pairing with a lot of those uh, a lot of these excuse me mono color manders that are popping out but crook very cool last one i want to talk about this guy screams turbo he screams like you're gonna play him in a turbo list he's like i can do so much turbo rograk son of Ro roga <laughs> zero cmc uh, he happens to be red though and it's indicated in the box where it says legendary creature cobalt warrior zero one body why would you play this Trash, Pat. What's wrong with you? First strike, menace, trample, partner. Strength is relative, my friends. What is good about Rograk? Well, I mentioned it already. Mox Amber. Instantaneous Mox Amber. 
Do I have a legendary? Yes, I do. Rograk. Um, this is really good if your list concerns, and even if Rograk isn't uh, in the command zone, you can use this to trigger historic, right? So anything that cares about historic, it's a legendary creature. Rograk. Again, Timna. So I'm in Mardu now. Um, I'm able to use Rograk on turn one. I can put down a swamp. I can culling the weak the Rograk. I can cast my Dark Red. I can use my Lotus Petal. I can use my Mox Amber before I sacrifice him. I can use any number of combinations of things to play ad nauseum. Right? So you're gonna you can very easily and aggressively mulligan to the perfect condition to have the mana by turn one or two to cast an ad nauseum right and win with ad nauseum uh how you would do that in in, in mardu without thos's oracle oh shit pat that's the challenge um i'm not going to solve that for you because i'm not interested in turbo list however that that is the initial thing i thought i'm not interested in turbo list because they're too solitary however if you do want to play rograk and use him for the first strike menace trample nonsense you can definitely build some sort of structure around him being like a voltron commander and just equipping him and buffing him and tripling him with Jessica, or obviously just using other various effects to buff him and get his stats there to where he can knock people out. And obviously there are other things you can do with this. A zero CMC Mander is just very good sack fodder. So Rograk, son of uh, Roga, I think probably best for the list that cares about turboing out and playing Adnons. And otherwise is just cute. He's just really cute. I, I want to try to structure a build around Rogak, Roga, son of Roga, Rograk, Rograk. I can't pronounce that name for the life of me. I'm gonna do a build with this, and you'll see it on the channel. How about that? Hopefully, I draft it, and it's better than I imagine in a draft experience. Port Razor for a three generic and double red creature orc pirate, four four body. Whenever Port Razor deals combat damage to a player, untap each creature you control. After this combat phase, there's an additional combat phase so another pirate okay for the beckett brass players who are counting <sighs> okay so yes this is a infinite pairing with your kikijiki any untapped things bunch of twin um i should say port razor can't attack a player who's already been attacked this turn ah oh, damn so you can't go infinite just by having port razor and having some sort of um uh, evasion to get past any blockers you would need to copy Port Razor. However, can't attack a player that has already attacked this turn. So you get one attack, two attack, three attacks at most. Yes, I think that's accurate. But you will get four combat phases. So the initial combat phase, you hit one player, another combat phase, another combat phase, and then you'll get your last one with whatever creatures you have left to swing. Now, do bear in mind that you do need to deal combat damage for this to uh, trigger. So you're not just gonna get this easily like you would if, if you're, I think the most important part when you're looking at this card is the combo potential. That's the only reason I'm bringing it up. And I saw people bring this up with Kiki Jiki. It is far easier to accomplish Zealous Conscripts and Kiki Jiki over this. When, when I see this, I, I don't look at this in terms of its combo potential because I would rather use Combat Celebrant over this, which is two generic, one red, if I'm not mistaken. It's three CMC. And it is essentially the combat version uh, infinite play line with Kiki Jiki or Splinter Twin that this is trying to be. 
Instead, I look at this and see a way to just pile on damage on the board. Now, you would want some form of evasion for Port Razor, whether that be a sword or just giving it flying somehow and having it swing at enough people. But this is going to complement a commander that cares about getting in there and doing damage. Now, does this complement a commander like Neheb, a Dreadhorde champion? Yeah, because you get to siphon through your cards. I think that this is decent. I think Mirag is probably better. The recently released Legendary from Zen the Zendikar set. I think that might be better over Port Razor. 5 CMC is a lot. 4-4 four, four is okay for 5. And the effect is also just okay. In a draft experience, this is going to be very cool, but I think constructed, it's just okay. And so far as combo potential is concerned, because that's most of the conversation, again, stick with the lower CMC effects, or rather cards, and stick with Zealous Conscripts instead. That's definitely a better combo piece with Kiki than this is. Kiki or Splinter Twins, which are the commonly seen red combo cards for the untappers. Now, the next card I want to talk about, we're moving into multicolor here. A lot of red cards there. Sorry if I'm rambling. There's, there's a lot of red cards there. There's actually a card that was just spoiled, like as of, I need to I need to grab my phone for this. As of filming this, that I also want to bring up because there is combo potential for it. I believe the command zone discussed this. They revealed this card. It was one of their reveals. But Nimrus Unus Trickster, we'll get to that one later. Uh, is three generic Demir, so blue black. Legendary creature fairy knight one six body. It has flash and flying. Whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the other into your graveyard. So the spell you cast, it, it doesn't, it could be anything. It could be a creature with flash. It could be an instant counter spell. I mean, you're in blue, right? Um, essentially you get to cantrip off of any spell, first spell you cast off turn. Very, very cool. Five CMC, one six body with flash and flying. This is really great when you need to block the port raisers of the world, right? Obviously a little telling when it's in your command zone, but I think that would be the concept here. You're probably going to want to go for some Demir build that relies on Thassa's Oracle to win the game, Demonic Consultation, yada, yada, yada. What's cool is that you can also have a sub-theme for a reanimate strategy here. Being Demir, you have all the best reanimate spells in the game. I was going to say the only, but green and white also has some reanimate as well. Um... This is really cool. I I'm don't have the mind to brew for this. I don't, I don't care about the Thassa win, the Labman win, any of that. But that, I think, is what you're probably going to go for for Nimrus. I do think that this is a really interesting value mander. And of course, having this isn't, mind you, this isn't draw, right? So if there's an uh, opposing Narset or there is um, Spirit of the Labyrinth, anything like that, that says you can only draw one card a turn. Uh, this isn't going to stop you if you've subsequently drawn elsewise, right? Uh, but this is really good for the effective draw off turn, just as a value mander alone. So definitely think she needs to be mentioned. 5 CMC, a little high, but still fine. Still fine, especially with flash. You can just get it out when you need it, right? You held your mana off turn for some countermeasures. Nothing happens. Play your Nimrus. Cool. You're not going to be swinging with a 1-6, but... It's a good blocker, and blue probably needs the blocker anyways. This one uh, is going to be translated for you all. So this is Yurlock. Uh, on Scryfall, they went with a cute name, The Mana Burner. But Yurlock, for a, <laughs> one generic and Jun, so black, red, green. Legendary creature, Vyashanu Shaman. You have Vyashinu Shaman, excuse me. Vigilance, which is really good with this card, and you'll see why in a second. 
Whenever a player loses unspent mana, they lose that much life. So this essentially brings back mana burn. If you don't know what that is, before you would have excess mana in your pool uh, switching phases. If you did happen to have excess mana in your pool, you would lose life based off of the amount of mana you had. So I, three generic, I take three life. This brings that back in a really interesting way. So for a generic tap, each player adds Jund to their mana pool, each player. So that 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 is giving away a lot to your opponents here. However, you have not only the catalyst for a win, but you also have the outlet on the same card. And I mean, outlet being the fact that you give them mana burn, so you deal them damage if you're switching phases and you do this infinitely, the tap, give them mana. You have the outlet and the catalyst, and the catalyst obviously being the mana generation. So what combo cards would you want to use with this? <sighs> There's a lot of, how do I tap this infinitely to generate the mana to do the mana burn on all my opponents? You can do something, and this is just off the top of my head, uh, Ley Line of Abundance, Ley Line of Abundance and Umbral Mantle, right? And I'm I'm not gonna put them on the screen. I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase them for you. Leyline of Abundance. It's essentially when you tap a creature for mana, you get to add a forest to that count. So uh, your lock would tap for four. And then Umbral Mantle is the equip cost zero. You can untap this creature for three mana and give it plus two plus two. I believe that's less important. If you do that, you're making Jund plus green. The plus green is going to pay for the tap effect, right? Because you do have to pay one to tap your lock, one generic. You make Jund. You can use the Jund to untap it with Umbral Mantle. Is this the most efficient line of play? Probably not. Uh, I, I haven't put my mind to doing this yet, but this is something I want to brew for the channel. It is a very fun combo mander in a really interesting way. Now, the only way that this could bite you in the ass is if you make infinite mana and you make well you're not getting infinite in the scenario i just set up you're actually mana you're mana negative right you don't have any mana in this scenario because you're paying for your lock and you're paying for the umbral mantle but you've made infinite jund for everyone if <laughs> there's a blue sun zenith in someone's hand and they happen to have triple islands well you're you just screwed the pooch there <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna feel the burn but there aren't that many instant speed X spells I can think of that are played commonly outside of Blue Sun Zenith in Commander, in, in CDH in particular, so I think you're safe with Yearlock. But that is the clear strategy here, right? And obviously Yearlock is very cool because that's just effective ramp. And in some scenarios, your opponents aren't gonna be able to use that mana anyways, right? So you might wanna tap Yearlock during someone's combat phase, like the player leading up to your turn, just tap Yearlock to do the three damage to everyone and hopefully you have a means of also using that mana in that instance but you know the one black i can see feeling a vampiric tutor the one red i can see feeling a red elemental blast to destroy a thing the one green i can see feeling a crop rotation obviously you're gonna give your opponents ramp off turn so this is very tricky to use as a ramp piece because you don't want to just be giving jund away right however it is a really really interesting commander so i I want to take a chance to look over this and try to do something with it. If it's viable, obviously expect something on the channel, but I test all the list I showcase either here on, or on channel fireball. And if the list doesn't, you know, if it's not up to snuff, then I just wasted a lot of hours <laughs> trying to make a list out of it. But 
Uh, let me do the work for you. If your lock is trash, then obviously I won't be talking about it. Now, uh, last one I want to talk about, uh, outside of the card that was recently spoiled before I just filmed this, is Blim Comedic Genius. Two generic Rakdos, so black-red. Legendary creature Imp, 4-3 body, flying whenever Blim Comedic Genius deals combat damage to a player. That player gains control of target permanent you control. When each player, then rather, each player loses life and discards cards equal to the number of permanents they control but don't own. This is a really interesting card. Now, I'm, again, this is one of those oddities I'm just bringing up is it's interesting. I don't want to say it's good, but it encourages you to utilize a strategy that uses token generators. And we've got many, you know, token generators in red that make goblins. You've got plenty of token generators in black. Ophiomancer makes snakes. Bitter Blossom makes uh, flying fairies. <laughs> you do need to be able to swing with Blim and deal damage to get this to trigger. So I wouldn't necessarily suggest you use Bitter Blossom in this list, but anything that's going to make grounded tokens for this list is excellent because the amount of, you know, and, and it says just um, permanence, right? It's, it doesn't care if they're token permanence. So the amount of tokens you hand off and give to players allows you to cause them damage and make them discard. So they're going to start running out of resources to handle the situation, which is really good for you. At 4CMC for a 4-3 flyer that does this, it does feel odd to me. I, I wouldn't say, because the effect isn't a may, you have to do this. If you don't have one of those token generators in place or some engine generating tokens for you, you're going to be giving them away pieces of value you don't want to give them. Like you're going to have to give them a land. You're going to have to give them your mana rock. You're going to have to whatever the scenario. It's not, that's not great. So there is a lot of setup here, but I think Blim Comedic Genius can be good. Can potentially. But again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Now, I have my phone because I'm going to read off a surprise legendary that was just spoiled today. So like 10 minutes before I started filming this. Kofner, the last you. So for three generic, one white, one black, one green, legendary creature, tree folk, shaman, three seven body. Ooh, that's a big booty. Vigilance reach whenever Kofner, the last you, or another creature you control dies. Return up to one other target creature card with lesser toughness from your graveyard to your hand. So the strategy is going to be similar to Teshar, but Teshar is favorable in my opinion. For six mana, you're, you're in some really good colors here. This is Abzan. You're able to tutor all of the relevant pieces you would need to make this combo go off, right? So any creatures you would need, you have green. Any combo elements that are outside of creatures, you have black. And obviously white gives you uh, access to tutors that get artifacts and enchantments and equipment, but that's less of a concern. With Kolfner, the last you, this can be a combo mander if you include, I'm gonna bring it up again, Genesis Chamber. So if you had something like Genesis Chamber, okay, Genesis Chamber, a creature that has zero defense, it could be anything. So Walking Ballista, um, it could be the other thing that makes Thopters. What is the name of that thing? I'm gonna have to look that up. Oh, I got a whole list here. Cryptic Trilobite, zero defense, cost zero to play. Uh, Endless One, Hangerback Walker. Okay, so the, the Genesis Chamber, one of these zero cost 
zero defense creatures and something like Ashnod's Altar. Okay, so with Kalfner's trigger ability, Kalfner's trigger ability, you have the so much work for this combo. I'm sorry, I know, it's ridiculous. Let's just say we have our Walking Ballista, Ashnod's Altar, Genesis Chamber, and Kalfner. You can cast Walking Ballista. When Walking Ballista enters the battlefield, you're gonna generate a token off of the Genesis Chamber. Cool. Well, as a state-based action, Walking Ballista, as you cast it for zero, goes to your graveyard. And now the Kalfner will trigger, but there's nothing in your graveyard at this point. I think that has zero defense or less. So what we're gonna do is use Ashnod's Altar to sacrifice the Myrrh we've just created and then get our Walking Ballista back because the 1-1 one, one body is greater than the 0-0 zero, zero body. And we're gonna keep repeating this until we've created infinite generic mana. Now you don't need to use just Ashnod's Altar, you can use the Phyrexian Altar, any sack outlet that's gonna net you mana off of killing the uh, Murrs that you're making with the Genesis Chamber. You have a win, infinite mana, cast Walking Ballista, win the game. It's a four card combo. I, I wanted to mention it because yes, you can, you can use this guy to win games. Yes, it is a combo mander. Is it a great one? Eh, no. Not really. <laughs> Sorry guys. Uh, but it, it was worth mentioning, okay? I had to at least mention him. Now, lastly, I do want to bring this up only because it's cool that they're completing the cycle. If you don't know this already, this was spoiled very early on and not just leaked. It was officially spoiled that they would be finishing off the cycle of, I'm going to call them commander lands. So multiplayer lands. And all of these have the exact same effect tacked onto them. I'll just read off Vault of Champions for you. But Vault of Champions enters the battlefield tapped unless you have two or more opponents. And it taps for Orzhov. So... This is a cycle of duels, effectively dual lands. So they don't have the subtyping, but they do net you two types of mana color and they come to the battlefield untapped 90% of the time. I, th there will be scenarios where it's just you versus one player at that point and it will come into play tapped, but very, very rare that this is gonna come into play tapped. Really great that we're seeing them here and I'm happy that we are seeing them. And that'll about do it for week one. We covered a lot of cards, as a matter of fact. I didn't think that we'd have this many cards that were notable. Again, not all of these are CDH worthy, but I do find a lot of the effects intriguing. There's a lot of combo potential with a lot of these cards. And of course, if there's anything I missed, please let me know in the comment section down below. Again, this was filmed as of Thursday, so there's probably gonna be things that pop up near the end of this week that I miss. And I would love to know what they are for next week because we'll be covering it then. Also expect some Commander Legends content over on Channel Fireball as well. I'm very excited to shoot all of that for them. However, before we end this video, Guys, if you enjoy the content you see here, if you enjoy my insight on any of these cards or any of the content that's provided, the best way to help support it is by Patreon. Now, if you haven't pledged yet, it's very simple. All of the information is in the link in the description down below, but our Patreon members know this already. Our brew babies get to play pickup games with me and the gang, as well as have a special Discord channel where they can chat directly to us on any thoughts or questions or comments they might have on lists we've showcased and or just life in general. Um, but the Discord is very fun if you're not a member of it. Um, we're always chatting with our audience there. 
uh, but particularly the Brew Baby and Brew Crew members. And also our Brew Crew members get to talk on the monthly topic. And as you know, this monthly topic was, do you feel casual and competitive should have separate band lists? But before I share our Brew Crew members thoughts, I do want to do a special shout out to one lucky Patreon member in that special random Patreon member is Tim Taylor. Tim, thank you so much for your patronage. You are among the best. And for his thoughts on the monthly topic, I'll be speaking for Brew Crew member Trent. I don't believe they should have separate band lists. CDH is EDH, just trying to optimize it to the highest level of efficiency and gameplay. Going more in depth, I believe that CDH players enjoy EDH just as much as casual players, but have a different way of enjoying it. Neither is wrong, but both still like the same format. I understand the merits of having a separate ban list because things like Paradox Engine being legal in CDH would open up more options and create more viable decks. But I don't think this outweighs the problem of some players not being able to find a table to play due to their deck suddenly not being legal. And that will do it for week one of spoilers for Commander Legends. I'm very excited for this product and I'm assuming you are as well. So let me know which cards you are most excited about and they can be reprints in the comment section down below. Me personally, Vampiric Tutor. All the Vampiric Tutors. Can I have four more please? Guys, my name is Patrick Marlette and happy Bruin Babies.